had this one guy, he's on death row, call him uh, Henry. And he's telling me about his last victim. <sighs> this little, little cutie named Adele, she's seven years old. And Adele's mother's got the TV playing so loud, he can hear Letterman telling jokes in the next room. And he walks into Adele's room, puts his hand over her mouth. He says, if you scream, little girl, I'm gonna kill your mother. So of course, Adele doesn't scream. She doesn't cry. She doesn't make a sound. And uh, Henry takes her by the hand. They walk out the front door. 10 days later, they find Adele's body. What's left of it? You believe in fairy tales? Fairy tales? Yeah, like uh, Alice in Wonderland and. Uh... No. Yeah. yeah. Me neither. What's the one? With the with the woodsman? Woodsman. Yeah, with the, uh, the axe. I don't know. Yeah, you know it. The, the woodsman, he cuts open a wolf's stomach. The little girl comes out alive. Little Red Riding Hood. Little Red Riding Hood, that's it. That's it. The woodsman, he cuts open the wolf's stomach. The girl comes out without a scratch. <laughs> Woodsman in this world. Welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your fear of God hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically Reed is not with me, but today is a heavy one. And I wanted a fellow woodsman at my side from the top. So Reed, it is good to see you my friend hello as always how are you uh we'll see um (laughs) no read uh last week we attempted to be more thinkers than stinkers as we hung out with the 
Rocky Balboa fangirl and dear mutual friend Keith Cassidy. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, this week, we are staring straight at the darkness and perhaps <laughs> ourselves as we engage 2004's Nicole Castle directed Kevin Bacon starring The Woodsman. Also, helping us slice open the wolf's belly today is the man determined that everyone should have a plant. Friends and foggers, welcome back to the show. Frequent guest and always friend, Blake Collier. Blake. Hey, how's it going? Doing all right. Um, I'm doing okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) If if y'all don't mind pondering the question, when will I be normal for a second? I will remind the listeners that here at the fear of God, we explore. We don't explain, except for right now when I explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. You can watch The Fear of God on YouTube, and you can browse The Fear of God on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com, where you will find, Reed, what should we talk about to get things started here? You like that? I attempted to yeah, make a yeah. segue there. That was that was cool. That was cool. Uh, well, I don't have any particular business to to highlight, so I would say- a lot say- of business, huh? I'm all out of business, all out of business. Um, so, uh, I would say, you know, if, if you and Blake would, uh, would be willing, why don't we just go ahead and, uh, <coughs> ladies and gentlemen, it is once more time to visit hashtag TV guideposts. This season, we're going to the wonderful, optimistic, hopeful, joyous, Ted Lasso. We last week talked about the first two episodes. This week, we're talking about episodes three and four. And given uh, what's in store for us in the rest of the episode, we might camp out here for a very long time. (laughs) But in the meantime, we invite you to join us for this week's hashtag TV Guideposts. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm so glad we're doing this. First. I know. Oh man, <laughs> a, an injection of some lasso energy. Now, <laughs> Blake, last time you were on was was it the Killer Hitcher Clowns. last time? Well, no, it was Killer, Killer Clowns. Clowns. Yeah, Killer That's Clowns. That's right. Yeah. yeah, it was Killer Clowns. But I knew, and you and I made a joke because I I knew you had seen Ted Lasso, mm-hmm. and it was a Ted Lasso season two reference. And now we're in the middle of Ted Lasso season yeah, two. No, but crazy. we today are talking about three and four. So. Awesome. I knew you were a fan of the show. Yeah. What, what, how, how did you get into the beautiful world of Ted Lasso? Uh, it was so finding something that my wife will sit down and actually watch with me. She went down for the hitcher? Uh, no, no, not really. It's, it's not her, (laughs) not her bag. Uh, no, she doesn't really like horror in general, uh, unless Mm. it's, uh, Shyamalan. She likes Mm. him and she likes Quiet Place. So, okay. Yeah. That's about it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, so we had just finished binging Schitt's Creek. Uh, mm, oh, and nice. Really that. We, we, we enjoyed it. And then we were just looking for something else, and we'd heard good things about Ted Lasso. Uh, I like Jason Sudeikis for the most part. Um, so we just gave it a shot. And uh, I've had a couple of conversations with people, and they're always like, man, I don't know about the first episode of season two, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's, it seems to be dragging. I was like, well, for me, like the first episode or two of the first season w- didn't grab me. Mm. It was like the third and fourth, the ones we're talking about today that really got me. Um, wow. And kind of brought me in. Look how that show. worked out. Yeah, exactly. So, and so, so and yeah, so, I, I, I fell in love. Like it, it's really difficult to 
not fall for Ted Lasso. Yeah. Even, even this darkened, cynical heart of mine uh, was broken <laughs> by it. So, yeah. So, what's funny about you saying that, and you are not, as of this recording, you are not privy to the conversation that we had last week. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned last week when we talked about it, um, which has been recorded but has not aired yet, which is yeah. why Blake hasn't heard it. Um, I say on there that like when I got my wife into the show, she expressed a similar thing. And the first couple of episodes took yeah. a little acclimation and that she didn't mm-hmm. quite get on the wavelength right away. But that by about the third or fourth episode, yeah. she was like, oh, yeah. man, I, 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 I love this. Yeah, this is really great. So I think it's just it was cool. because yeah. we were just waiting for it to shift into a dumb podunk guy mm-hmm. just being goofy like we were expecting it to basically go into all the the tropes of like your yeah. typical like you know clueless you know uh, yeah. american going to britain kind of because that's been done to death so yeah mm-hmm. uh, we, we were expecting that to happen and it just never came and so we were just like oh okay this has got more going for it than that okay absolutely cool. No, absolutely. absolutely. Well, and this, so something that we didn't mention in last week's episode. So I'm going to pivot back to a moment from episode two to illustrate what you're talking about. This show, I think, subverts every expectation that I had about what it was going to do. So at the ending of episode two, uh, which we didn't mention last week, but at the ending of episode two, there is the, you know, they, they stage the photograph of Lasso wiping Keely's mouth after, you know, you know, mm-hmm. she's eaten something because she's on this photo shoot. And of course, I thought, oh, great. That'll be the big misunderstood. It'll be the big explosive mm-hmm. drama. But then in episode three, almost right out the gate, well, they reveal at the end of, of, of episode two that it's actually Rebecca who has <laughs> staged that photograph, which is a yeah. bit of a, a gut punch because at the same time that they're revealing that, they're also revealing that those cookies that she absolutely Mm -hmm. cannot get enough of the biscuits are ones ted is actually baking yes so it's a really wonderful narrative pivot to show like oh yeah while she's being pretty awful he's being overwhelmingly generous and and good to her but then i thought i knew everywhere where that plot line was going to go and by the third by the first 10 minutes of the third episode Mm -hmm. it was over and done with that whole and i mean it comes back yeah, that whole thing where I thought it was going to be this big scandalous thing and this big fighting mm-hmm. thing, like no, that's not what we're going to tell with this story. And I think that's so illustrative of how Ted Lasso takes so many of your expectations. You're pretty sure, almost arrogantly, so oh, I know that character. Oh, I yeah. know what's going to happen there, and it just doesn't. It 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 mm-hmm. in many many ways will pivot to a different direction. And I think that's yeah. what's so disarming and so lovely about it overall. Um, so this is a uh, our conversation here starts with an episode called Trent Krem, the Independent, and <laughs> and uh, and so obviously Rebecca's ploy at this point to photograph Lasso and Keeley in a compromised position just withers on the vine because mm-hmm. she realizes uh, that the photo can be traced back to her and that Keeley, uh, you know, will not take too kindly to the fact that that Rebecca is the one who staged this. So she just abandons that and instead decides to set up a hit piece on Lasso uh, from this uh, intrepid reporter, Trent Krim, who has no qualms whatsoever about being very uh, abrasive, but mm-hmm. very Britishly abrasive. He's still very proper and, and, and polite with everything. Uh, and good looking. He is a very good looking man. It's intimidating. <laughs> it's really intimidating. 
that hair. Oh my That's God. Hilarious. So, um, but, uh, so she decides to stage this hit piece with him. And, um, again, uh, I, I, I will say this and then I will shut up and, and let, uh, both of you say what you want to about this episode. I thought I knew where this was going. I thought, mm-hmm. okay, great. Well, Trent Krim is going to skewer him and he's going to have just an absolute like, bunch of terrible things to say because I thought this show was all going to be about Ted Lasso having to prove everybody wrong piece by piece by piece. Mm-hmm. So when even by the end of this episode, Trent Krim is not writing the version of hit piece that I so was assured he's going to be writing. Um, the, the show just had me. So yeah, uh, take it away, boys. Like uh, so I I kind of toyed with y'all earlier today saying that that one of these two episodes we're talking about tonight is possibly my favorite, if or is one of, if not my favorite episodes. And mm. and this is the one. Oh, uh, Trent awesome. Cram Independent is, I think, a singular episode that I think about when I think of Ted Lasso. Um, mm. Because I, I always tell people, come for Ted Lasso, stay for all the other characters. Oh, wow. Because mm. really... Ted Lasso, he's going to be Ted Lasso. He's that character. But yeah. what I think the show does really compellingly is it really brings to life the side characters. Uh, even mm. people like Trent Krim. Yeah. And he, he's kind of a running joke through the whole show where he's constantly asking questions and he always says, Trent Krim, the independent. <laughs> <laughs> and and I really, I really appreciate the time at least what I perceive to be the time they put into these characters uh, to create this atmosphere in the show. Yeah. Um, and I just like the fact that even at the end, when Rebecca's listening to Higgins read this hit, yeah. quote unquote hit piece, like it's still Trent Cram. He's still, you know, taking shots at Ted Lasso, yeah. but you can tell that he's, he's been won over. He's, yeah, <laughs> he's been over. Absolutely. And like, it's not, it's not just this, you know, blushingly like, positive like take on on the coach no it's it's Trent Cram. like he is saying horrible things in some of these spots but he says i don't really care because mm. i think he's actually a human being and well, i'm and, on his side you know <laughs> yeah, yeah his, so. i think the final line of his piece is if the lasso way is wrong it's hard to imagine being right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah. that's just a really well, yeah. Lovely, lovely turn there. Yeah. Reed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause uh, yeah, he, he says in there and I think I just rewatched these two episodes, like, you know, earlier. So it's fresh in my mind, but, uh, he says, uh, I can't help but root for him. Yeah. Like that's yeah. the last thing he's like, even though I think this is going to be a disaster, I can't help but root for him. And I'm yeah. like, that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> so, well, wonderful. And, and Blake, you said something that is worth pondering for a moment because while i don't disagree in a general sense with what you're saying ted lasso the character is going to be ted lasso the character but i actually fell really hard for how the show positions that his infectiousness does not there there are other things at work and there's an interior mm-hmm. life to ted lasso yeah well, yeah for that, sure that was sure. really really a awe-inspiring turn because and at the state at the current moment in season two that's aired thus far we're, we're steering into some of that too but season two even thus far i would say if i have any criticism it's like okay are we are we juggling 
even full bore, even more inflated version of the Ted Lasso. But yeah. I do think they're doing that intentionally to kind of steer us into something more rich. Mm-hmm. But point being, I think you're absolutely right. The the supporting cast uh, become very lived in, very rich, very real. Uh, but even with all his lassoisms, um, <laughs> I just had a picture of Roy Kent doing his yeah. really terrible impression of Ted Lasso. <laughs> He's like poking his fingers at the. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you if you want to talk pow, about pow, my, pow. if you want to talk about my favorite character on the show, it's Roy Kent. Oh, I mean, you and my Hands you and my wife not to be that way. <laughs> yeah, man, Roy Roy Kent is a thing of wonder. He yes. is amazing. He is absolutely an amazing character. Him, him, and his relationship with Phoebe is 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 uh, oh, the, the, the dog yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, the niece niece oh yeah. she's she's wonderful and yeah. so so speaking to that so i'm gonna i'm gonna throw some props again i'm gonna beat this drum a lot this season uh about how uh lasso disarms you you said um you know blake that like you're expecting lasso to just be the podunk just the the yeah. ignorant absurdist whatever check out this like you want to talk about how disarming it is for a character. We want to look at Ted, or we would imagine because of the way he talks and how little he knows about football. Oh, he's just an idiot. Coach Beard really knows everything. And Coach Beard is just like keeping him up to speed. But check out this brilliance. Lasso walks into the locker room and is just like, yeah, I just got a few gifts for you up there. And everybody opens up a specifically chosen and very subtle like sort of message like, oh, uh, you know, Obasanya is reading Ender's Game. Jamie yeah. Tart is reading The Beautiful and the Damned by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And <laughs> Roy Kent, it's, right? Right? <laughs> and Roy Kent is reading A Wrinkle in Time. Now, this is why this is so immediately you, you learn to, if you're not paying attention, I'll illuminate two things that we just learned about Ted Lasso. Number one, he is insanely insightful like the fact that he can know that much about that person to know mm-hmm. this is the story that i need to share with them to unlock what i need to unlock with so just almost supernaturally insightful and clearly exceptionally well read that he would mm-hmm. know all of these books it's not just a leadership book or a team player book or whatever it's ender's game and a wrinkle in time and so then when trent Krim steps forward and yes the, the scripting is a bit on the nose but when he's like it's a lovely novel about a young girl who's burdened with the you know the burden of leadership you know yeah. and and it's like <laughs> it all comes into clarity that it's like oh yeah that's what and then Roy Kent is like yeah. am I supposed to be a little girl and Les is like I'd like you to be <laughs> like, just, but but what I love so much the payoff in that you this is what brought all that up the yeah. payoff of that he's reading the book to Phoebe He's reading it to Phoebe. And when he's reading it to Phoebe and he reads that line and like, it has to be me. There's no one else. And then he just puts the book down and then just yells the F word. Because like, <laughs> now he understands. He understands everything Lasso is doing. It's so perfect. Phoebe's just like, that's a bad word. <laughs> you know? But he, he, he gets it. He understands. And it's like in that moment, what they are not they're not being too aggressive with it, but they're showing you like, yeah, no, Lasso's a brilliant coach because he knows way more than he, he does not need you to know how much he knows, but he knows it well, so good, fluid. And he's a good yeah. coach because he, he looks at the human 
in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's, he's a great coach of people, on, not yeah, of exactly. sports. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't care yeah. about sport. It's, it's, you know, one sport, it's another sport is another sport. Yeah, like, exactly. Right. Yeah. He's, he's more concerned about, I think he says this at one point in season one is, is he cares more about the, the building their character developing. Yeah. Them as well, people. well, he says to Trent over dinner, he says yeah, success is right. not about wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellows be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. Yeah. That's just, but I even like the fact that, like, as much as I like that mentality, Coach Beard, like, at the end of that season, like, later on, he calls BS on it. He's like, no, people do care about winning and losing. It's a nice, it's a ni- like, they're just all the, all the cycles that they go through on the show. Like, they never drop a ball. Like mm-hmm. it all comes back around to something that you saw earlier in the season. It's yeah. yeah the writing so what, what is uh, y'all look at your list and pick out your favorite Trent Krim independent episode moment. Well, I mean, okay. Yeah. You go, you, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> this is your favorite episode of the show. So yeah, you go. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean the, the part where they're sitting at the end at, and they're at the, uh, <laughs> the driver's uh, family's restaurant and he orders the really hot, Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that really hot food, and Trent's like, "I don't think you should have done that." <laughs> and like, he takes one bite, and he's like, "No, I can't do this. I can't do this." He's like, "But you have to." Like that whole that whole exchange between him and Trent Krem, Trent's just right. like giving up. He's like, "No, nope, sorry, this is yeah. way beyond what I can do." Well, and <laughs> you gotta know. I, I wondered this when I watched it. You got to know Sudeikis was like, no, give me the real thing. Exactly. Like, I need to perform yeah. with the actual heat because because yeah. he looks like he's physically responding yeah, to exactly what he's experiencing. <laughs> there. Um, I'll throw one out. Uh, I just thought this was hysterical. I mean, so many the show writ large is just peppered with these bits, but <laughs> Ted gets popped in the nose with the soccer ball and then. Like a scene later, he's signing it, and a drop blood droplet falls on it. And he hands to the kid and says, "Don't use it to clone me." <laughs> I mean, just such a hysterical like line to to have that character say. Oh my gosh, it's awesome. Um, gosh, it's, I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite moment, but this is the moment that came to me when you yeah. you said this. So this is this is what I'm going to use. Um, it's when uh, he walks in and he finds Trent Krim like digging around and he's like i forget what he calls him because i didn't write it down but when he he's like oh you're like one of those little wandering vacuum cleaners just looking for dirt a Roomba, <laughs> Roomba you know like you're just looking for dirt uh and i thought that was so it was such a perfect little like oh man that's mm-hmm. that's great well i gotta i gotta throw one more out just because it's too funny but i love i love nate slash nathan not because yeah. he shares my name but or we share <laughs> names but it's hysterical. I mean, this wasn't the one I was going to share, but their their response. Uh, I have a tricky time hearing folks who don't believe in themselves when when Nate pitches a play to them. So that scene is hysterical. Well, then they execute his play. Trent's present for it, and it it goes well. You know, this is a non sports person trying to talk sports plays, but. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Says him. Uh, when the play goes off well, he says, uh, how you feel? So so many new feelings. And Ted says, it's like getting your first pube, right? And he just walks away. And and Nate goes, What? 
hysterical. Oh, it's I so love it. So, unless y'all have more on three, any more on three, yeah. any more on three, once, mm, twice. No, nothing, nothing specific. We can go to for yeah. the children. Let's go to the auction before the children, the gala. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode four features the big fundraising gala. Uh, we are introduced, I think, for the first time to Rupert. Right? I mean, yes, he's been present is- in like you know photos and stuff but mm-hmm. yeah. uh, uh rebecca's ex shows up uh kind of crashes the gala and and showboats kind of stealing her spotlight and and effectively the whole episode is is centered on this gala so so any sort of general notes and then we'll get into like favorite scenes well i did you know i mean we've already sung the praises and likely will every episode uh thereafter of roy kent but i just i just love so much his limitlessly grouchy Yet he's ve- he's a very real person, and you can tell that he has like a real heart, um, you know. So when when he gets it and finally extends the olive branch to Jamie at the end after everything uh-huh. that uh, to Jamie 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 no, no, Jamie 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 I'm never going to be able to do that. Um, <laughs> so when he extends the when he extends the olive branch, you know, as it were, and just like starts talking to him about like his experience when he was the young up and comer and everything, and they they come to at least for that moment an understanding and Lasso's ploy, uh, he he parent trapped them and his ploy has <laughs> has worked and uh, and at least they're coming to a certain degree of understanding. I just really loved that about it. I love that you know Roy has so vigorously stood up for Nate. I love the moment when Nate. Like, he's like, why are you so it's close so to me? It's so like, funny. It's like, well, I, I wanted to come in and hug you, but then I got scared. <laughs> yeah, and then I chickened out. Yeah. <laughs> then I chickened out. Oh, it's, it's yeah. so great. It's so great. Um, so, yeah, just uh, I, I love so much this this episode. We had already established the perpetual disarmament in the first three. And now this episode is really beginning to see like, no, uh, Ted Ted's strategy is working. It's it's making Roy be the leader that he should be. Um, mm. It's it, it's gonna break down the barriers with him and Jaime. I don't know if I said that right. There you go. You got uh, it. <laughs> um, and so uh, and then I also loved. Well, I'll mention this and then I'll give other people a chance. I also loved the exchange that uh, and 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 the burgeoning relationship that is happening between Rebecca and Keely. I love it. Like, you know, mm. Keely looks out for her on the red carpet and yeah. uh feel like and, a teenage boy right now looking at her <laughs> her naked pictures. <laughs> her naked pictures. And um and then like I, I just love the exchange they have in the bathroom where where they talk about accountability. And yeah. then of course when and it has a really nice payoff, an unexpected payoff when Roy Kent actually takes her to task for making him a pawn in their jealous thing mm-hmm. with, the, with the auction where like she started bidding on him Keela just to and make, <laughs> just to make um you know uh Jame uh jealous <laughs> I know I don't know now he's just being he's just being sarcastic now Jame Jame um <laughs> but Blake, when, I know there's nothing left to talk about is there something No else? no no yeah I'm kidding. <laughs> hey <laughs> read like no. i like i like i i think the i think the interesting part like this if if i'd just seen this episode separate from all the rest of the show i probably would have gone back to the show but mm. that's because the show it requires story building um there are yeah. some episodes that you just have to build that story because i would say that this is perhaps one of the more important episodes in the first season 
mm-hmm. in the sense that it's building all of the, the potential conflicts that can be paid off later on. Um, and so it's not going to be showy like Trent Cram or, you know, maybe the first uh, episode. Um, it's not going to be, you know, pulling all the stops and doing every gag it can, all that stuff. But mm-hmm. it's building, it's showing us that these are real people, that these are people that have dynamic and complicated relationships with exes, with friends, with family, with all these things. And, and you're starting to see that the stereotypes that they've kind of built up to this point are starting to break. Um, and I think that's what I like about the show is that they're constantly breaking those stereotypes down as the show goes on. When I love how this particular episode starts to unite Rebecca and Ted, Mm -hmm. he, Mm -hmm. he starts to feel a protectiveness towards her. Uh, she starts to, you know, I, cause up to, yeah, cause Trent Krim, the independent was still her in the throes of the sabotage mission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can tell she starts to recognize him as an ally and not a, an enemy. And, um, so no, I really love that. And, and, you know, of course every show need or every story needs it's, it's, it's common enemy, which is in this case, Rupert. Um, I will throw out a couple of favorite bits from this episode cause it's, it's kind of chock full of them, but most of mm-hmm. them involving Nate. And uh, when, when when Ted so Nathan shows up in the in the suit, and of course you know he's dancing like an idiot, and, and don't don't strut, let the suit do the work. But when they go over to Rebecca, and he he says, "Great to see you again," and she says, "Nice to meet you," and he yeah. says, "Nice to meet you." <laughs> <laughs> like I I so. I, I, I've referenced this before in the context of like an Arrested Development, but just crisp sharp crackling mm-hmm. comedic yeah. kind of wordplay rooted in character and and that moment is so illustrative of comedy rooted in character rebecca nate is the kit man who does not mean mm-hmm. register at her on her for uh, does not register for her at all right you know? yeah, right so whereas he is feeling emboldened by this new suit he thinks because he's been given, uh, uh, um, you know, w- they used his play successfully. Now he's feeling stronger in his personhood. And he's, oh, great to see you, owner of the club. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly I'm backing back off. Um, oh, the other gosh. one I'll throw out here and then let y'all uh, pick some if you have them. I love, I love. Well, even what Woody and Bud's got under each other's plastic wasn't Woody made of cloth. Not now. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I really appreciate you, but n- not right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh my gosh. I, yeah. I'll, I'll toss another one out there right there where he said, yeah, that is only the second suit I owned. And the other one was when I was naked as a baby. And then like, everybody's like, but I love, I love so much Lasso's like uh, covering of him. It's like, well, the term birthday suit would have helped you out a lot there. I just, I just love that so much because then everybody chuckles about it. Yeah, I feel like there is so much for if there's anybody listening right now who is watching the show as we are airing the episodes, maybe you're just rewatching it. Um, and, and probably most people are in that camp, mm. but in case you have not seen the rest of season one and you're only listening to this because you've watched up to episodes three and four, um, then what I will say is that there is a ton, Blake, I think you made this comment or alluded to this earlier. There is a ton of homework for future payoffs that are done mm. in this episode. Uh, yeah. The Rupert dynamic, uh, the dynamics between uh, Roy 
Keely and Jamie, like mm-hmm. the Who? dynamic between no, the dynamics between um, Keely and Jamie. <laughs> Um, the dynamics between Keely and Rebecca, like so many things are established and sort of founded in this episode. So this yeah. is the kind of episode that I think is enjoyable on its own merits, but I think it's a bit illusory to ju- to realize just how much homework is done and how much like setting the stage for what will become major payoff moments later in the season mm-hmm. is done in this episode. Um, just, just an awful lot of it. So well, that's worth noting. And to go back to, to your comment about the crisp, crisp crispness of the dialogue, I wish I could speak. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's not surprising coming from Bill Lawrence who did scrubs, which right. scrubs now doesn't hold up as well as scrubs did when it was on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still like it. Don't get me wrong, but it just, it doesn't crackle like it did back then. Um, but when I found out that it was the same guy, I was a little thrown off. I expected the, the tab, the Ted Lasso, uh, element of it. Um, just because it's quirky. Uh, it's, it's kind of what he does. Um, but the seriousness, the story, the storylines and whatnot threw me off a little bit. So when I saw that, I was like, is this the scrubs guy? <laughs> so, oh, wow. But, but, the, but like you said, the, the dialogue is, is paced yeah. superbly it's sharp. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's well, wonderful. I, I, I'm pretty sure this doesn't currently exist in a, in a like hard copy DVD fashion, but I would love to just watch outtakes. Cause you know, oh, you yeah. know, they cannot yeah. <clears throat> make it through these scenes. I mean, this stuff is so, so I would imagine. Terrible. I would imagine that Rolly Kent probably has the hardest time of all. Of them. Oh man! Do you know, like, I, I don't know if both of y'all are up to date. This is no spoiler, but Brene Brown gets a name drop in this most recent uh, season. Oh two yeah, episode. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's yeah. actually a huge Ted Lasso fan, and that's it's featured hilarious. the actor who plays Roy on her podcast before. Oh, nice! Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. So, so does he drop that many f words like in the real? I haven't listened to it. I haven't listened to it, but. <laughs> But in fact, she recently uh, posted to Instagram after the most recent episode. She's saying, just so you know, because in the episode, a character references a book of hers that doesn't isn't a real book. Uh, but it's like the name of the book is Don't Go Into the Arena Without a Knife or something. It's just oh, silly. It didn't silly sound real. Of, <laughs> right, right. And she, she did an Instagram thing of like, I know you all watch Ted Lasso and uh, I really don't have that book coming out. And I don't really know anything about Ted Lasso and the camera pans around. She's got a Roy Kent jersey on. <laughs> You know, so it's just kind of funny. Um, awesome. That's awesome. All right. Reed, you want to take us out? Um, yes. I just want to say one thing on the oh, way please. Out. Yes. Uh, I also love, uh, La- obviously, I've already sung the praises of how insightful Lasso is as a character and how smart he is as a character. I love the subtle shade he throws at Rupert where he's like, yeah, it occurred to me that if yeah. you could call him up and get Robbie Williams to come here, you could just as easily have called him up and told him not to come. Like, and I just love so much what the show shows us in that moment of like, yeah, Ted's got his number. Like you might think because of the way he talks or because of his attitude that Ted's a little country bumpkin, but Ted is really on point in terms of what he needs to, at least what he knows about it. Yeah. His emotional intelligence is off the charts. And I think that's what, what, what carries through the whole show is that he, because he's so in tune with people, Mm -hmm. he, he can see through them. Like he can see what is, what makes them tick. Um, and oh, he man. sees through Rupert really quickly. 
What a lovely so, moment that is where he says that exact, almost that yeah. exact thing to Rebecca. He's like, you may think you're the only one who can see what he really is, yeah. but you're not. And like the yeah. look on her face, she's got, that actor's got a very, very expressive, mm. uh, you, you can see every thought that's going through her head on her face. Um, and I just, I just hate hey, it so much. Reed, I don't know if Blake, you will know this answer, but Reed, did you know there's a place you've seen the actor play who plays Rebecca before? I do know this answer. So do you want to give Blake a chance to answer? Did you know no, it before watching Ted Lasso? Uh, I don't remember when I discovered it, but I, I somewhere along I had the lines. I a colleague pointed out to me recently and I was like, oh, oh no. my gosh. Oh, no, I, yeah. I discovered it on my own, but cannot remember how. I, I think what it was, was I actually saw a shot. Do you mind if I just rip off the Band-Aid? No. Okay. Yeah, I actually saw a shot of Cersei and in and right behind her yeah, is yeah. Rebecca. Rebecca. And, and I was like, wait a minute, what? Like, what? So, and but, but that was when, and so that was as I just saw an image of um, that actor uh, who played Cersei Lannister. And why am I not Lena remembering? Hedy. Lena Hetty. Yeah. I saw a, an image of Lena Hetty. And then right behind her is uh, the actor who plays Rebecca. And so I was like, wait a minute, what's going on there? But that's how I, that's how I yeah, found it out. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's crazy. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll take this out. <clears throat> well that has been yet another installment of biscuits with the boss or as we like to say around here hashtag tv guideposts tune in next week where we will be following this same delightful wonderful pattern and engaging with episodes five and six where the emotional stakes are going to rise somewhat suddenly and sharply, but into even more goodness of character and story. So join us next week for another two episodes of Ted Lasso at another installment of hashtag TV guideposts. TV guideposts. You sound like a robot. <laughs> Jam, Jimmy talk. Uh, <laughs> Wally. That's exactly what it's. That's exactly what it's. <laughs> that's what it's like. Wow, like, someone's been working on that one. Yeah, I, so that just happened. Of, that was just there. Speaking of working on it, um, <laughs> I don't know. King of segways here. Uh, so mm-hmm. Blake, <laughs> we are in the middle of a series called "What Saves Us." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. your ass throws in the ring <laughs> in the Cold Castles 2004, The Woodsman. And yeah. I will tee you up here with I saw The Woodsman. Uh, it was on video, so it wasn't in the theater. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is incredibly heavy. For those of you, if you're if you're past the Ted Lasso of it all and you heard us reference this last week at the end of Rocky, uh, this is an incredibly heavy movie. Enter with caution. Uh, look it up beforehand decide if you want to engage i will say there's nothing explicit on screen related to the subject matter yeah Uh, you like how i saved that yeah Yeah. i would Um, say that that it's not even that bad otherwise but yeah it's sure yeah um uh, but the subject matter is incredibly fraught and and heavy um and sad uh so anyway i watched the film years ago uh, was incredibly moved and inspired and challenged by it and kind of fell in love with what I thought it was after would it honestly hasn't hit the radar in years. And mm-hmm. I think I speak for Reed as well, that when a couple of weeks ago, your submission comes through and it's like the woodsman, I'm like, O M G. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if you don't mind uh, without waiting too far into the depths yeah. yet, 
Can you speak a little bit to, as you assessed what we've been asking for and even engaging with on what saves us, what made this particular film present itself to you as a candidate for that? Um, I like movies with hard fought hope. Um, Mm -hmm. And because I'm a five on the Enneagram, um, which means I can also say that I think Enneagram is basically astrology uh, because that's what fives do. As they, as they have their cake. Where's Asia when we need her? <laughs> I know. Shout out to Asia, our um, So, yeah, I as a five, like I, I think I've heard. I don't remember where I heard this. I listened to a few podcasts trying to help my wife figure out her enneagram number, and they came to the conclusion that fives really, really like sad movies. Um, mm-hmm. And it's true. I I'm a sad movie sap. Uh, the sadder the better. Melancholy is my is my happy place. So. <laughs> Melancholy um, is my happy place. Put that on your tombstone. Yeah, exactly. I was going like, to say, that's your life motto now. <laughs> um, Melancholy is my happy place. And, and then we're going to post a picture yeah. of Rosie with a cone on. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my poor dog. Wah, wah. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's, it, I, I, I don't always appreciate movies that end on nihilism or futility. Um, mm. It doesn't need, it doesn't, there, there are some that do it for me, but, but on the whole, I want a movie that goes through the hard places and comes out the other side with either some form of hope or yeah redemption or, 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 you know, something positive. Mm. Um, and it, and it, because that to me feels earned. Um, mm. a lot of happy movies feel like the endings always feel a little bit, you know, added on, like yeah. they didn't really earn it. And so mm-hmm. I think movies like the woodsman for me, you go through some really, really, really heavy stuff. Um, but yeah. you come out on the other side and then to basically sum it up and to not go too deep into the, the thematic waters. If someone like Kevin Bacon can be, forgiven by the people he's harmed, then there's hope for people like me mm. Um, mm. who have made horrible decisions, not necessarily like his, yeah, but have made my own horrible decisions. Um, yeah. And so this idea that, that I can be forgiven, that even the worst of us can be forgiven and be loved um, by people who have been hurt by them mm. even mm. it's that's a powerful thing to me uh, and i will probably try to fight not crying during this episode so this mm. is as close as that <laughs> as as y'all will get to seeing that happen <laughs> so sure i appreciate sure. it <laughs> yeah no of course of course yeah um do you mind if I uh, take that baton and run with it a little yeah, bit? Go for it. Please. Just like so, so I probably saw this. Uh, I, it is difficult for me, more difficult than I'd care to admit. It's difficult for me to remember what my movie investigation habits were prior to the widely accessible bits of information we have on the internet. Like I can't remember how I stumbled across things before you know the the rampant use of the internet now this obviously came out when the internet was was a thing but you know i don't remember exactly there weren't these saturated news sites that would just like 
push notify you on, oh, casting news about this and casting news about that. Um, but I can remember specifically the Woodsman hit my radar during its production phase. Like I can mm. remember that there was some some article or something that 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 rose up where it's like, uh, and and they were married at the time, so it was like you know Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick sign on for you know a movie about you know a child molester and and that subject matter being something that was like oh wait a second what's you know what's going on but they had done a little bit of pre-press and i remember distinctly i would probably be hard pressed to find the article right now but i remember distinctly them uh, a a person was interviewing kevin bacon about it and it was like hey this is a gutsy role to take like yeah. this is a really like you're really yeah. going to take this role and i remember he probably said some significantly more insightful things about it but i remember kevin bacon specifically said well i've never really been afraid of the dark and I thought like, wow, yeah, that's like, okay. And you look over his filmography and that's quite mm -hmm. true. Yeah. Um, but I remember <laughs> that's, that's yeah, tremors, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so, but I remember, um, when the movie came out and I did, I also did not see it in the theater, despite the fact that, I didn't either. Hit, yeah, despite the fact that it had hit my rate, I think it might've even been that there, that it simply wasn't playing near me. I lived in North Carolina at the time. So I think it, or actually, did I live in North Carolina? No, I would have lived in, I would have lived in LA at that point. But regardless of that, uh, like, I don't think it was playing anywhere that I knew it was or, 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 or something like that. But I remember I saw it more, um, on video release. And I remember just being, uh, I keep using this word disarmed by its sensitivity. Uh, the, the individual that stood out the most to me in the production was probably most deaf at the time, mm -hmm. who I think just absolutely. Yeah kills this role just yeah. absolutely like does a, a an amazing performance <laughs> mm -hmm. right but yeah. but he in two scenes well three technically but he was the most memorable part of the movie to me sure. uh, upon first viewing where i was mm -hmm. like man he's yeah. that's an amazing and plus he's the one who's who uh the the metaphor of the woodsman is given to so maybe that had something to do sure. with it but um but i remember just really being taken with the sensitivity of it i was expecting not sure maybe something to be a little bit more exploitative a little bit more preachy a little bit more um almost propaganda related and the mm -hmm. fact that this is not really uh just really uh entrenched it in my imagination to the degree that like nathan described earlier yes he absolutely did speak for me that when when we saw your submission I think we each separately texted yep. you like, holy mm -hmm. crap, like yep. you, you, you called forth the woodsman and like, that's yes. Yes. I, I, I was eager for an excuse to revisit this film heavy as it is. Um, and eager for an excuse to just, uh, you know, engage with a subject like this in the way that this film engages with it. And I think yeah. that's, I think that's important because it's not just that it's an important subject. It's that the way this film chooses to approach mm -hmm. the subject is very mature. It's very um, sensitive. We're going to use that word a lot, probably, and uh, and is insightful. And I th I think that can be, you know, a, a, a balm even when the subject yeah. is as hard and heavy as the subject of this film is. I remember the the first time I noticed it was at a little hole in the wall um, video store in Canyon, Texas, called Silver Screen. Mm. It's really really catchy title if you think about it <laughs> um but i remember seeing the, the the cover with him holding the red ball with the hmm. aut autumnal colors i believe behind yeah. him anyways he's on the road he's holding the 
he's holding the, the red ball. And I, yeah. I was, I, I think I was in a moment where there I was really paying attention to Kevin Bacon. I was probably had seen something. I think I'd probably seen sleepers or something like that. It was just really like yeah. blown away by him. Uh, so yeah. I know you'd probably seen stir of echoes by that point. Cause that was so. 99. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I was probably in that, in that phase and I saw, Oh, this is a new Kevin Bacon movie. Don't know what it's about. I don't think I really even read the back of it um, mm. at the time. I think, mm. and I'm not even sure if I watched it right then. I think I just noticed it. And I don't even remember the first time I watched it. It was early college. I know that. But yeah, I, I, I don't I don't recall the first time I watched it. I know that it it, it leveled me yeah. <laughs> when I saw it. Yeah. And, then, mm-hmm. uh, and then I returned to it a couple of years later uh, and wrote a piece about it. Um, don't you, don't you miss the so. don't you miss the days when Reed you reference internet saturation information saturation and like you just were in a space and you're like yeah. what's this about I'll read yeah. the back of the box like, yeah that's just exactly. not no, an existent not, sort of phenomena yeah. anymore I that. miss it I do yeah mm-hmm. well melancholy is your happy place yeah, so it is you know it is. <laughs> maybe you should just settle there for a bit yeah, um, that's what I do. Yeah, Reed, how, how do we feel? Let's do this. Let's do this. I know our temptation might be with a film of this nature to not steer quite so heavily into this thing uh, because because there's very little right about the subject matter of this mm-hmm. film. However, mm-hmm. I think an argument could be made that there is there are things that are so right about the film itself. Mm. And I think we should spend a minute to talk about that. I think so too. Agreed. That's so right. It's just so right. It's just so right. That's just so right. It's just so right. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah. So, so Blake, I am curious. Um, it's funny. You don't know this, Blake, unless the read tipped you off to it. He and I chatted yesterday and it was like, did we do that? So right for this movie? Oh, it's a pretty heavy movie. Yeah, come on now. <laughs> and I was, I was trying to sort of make a case. Not that to he be was honest, I can't wait it. for the fun factor. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes. Yes. 10, 10. Um, <laughs> uh, so that I was, was I was trying to, to make a case and he, he thought, at least this this was a, a smart choice as well that you know it's not that we're uh celebrating anything per se in the subject matter but but there are things you can point to in the film that yeah. might qualify for what we're at least after in assessing things as being so right mm-hmm. so yes so blake what would top your list of that so right i mean the acting is is astounding uh by everybody um even I mean, this was the first film I'd seen David Allen Greer play a serious role. Um, it's small mm-hmm. yeah. and it's mm-hmm. largely kind of non-essential, but like I had never seen that before. I'd never seen him actually do a straight faced role. And so I was blown away by that. Most deaf Eve, um, mm-hmm. like the fact that there were two, two popular rappers at the time in this mm-hmm. film was huge. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, number one, like Kevin Bacon, his, the way he pulls off the tightrope of this 
this role is just mind blowing to me. I, I read earlier today that I think it was uh, in 2010, this movie didn't do as well in the U S surprise, surprise. Right. Um, but it did, it did better overseas. Um, and I believe it was Colin Firth who said that, uh, Kevin Bacon's performance in that film was probably the best of the decade. Wow. Um, whenever mm. you get that from Colin Firth, that's saying a lot. And he was like, <laughs> I was in the, and I was in the King's speech. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Number two. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's astounding. I mean, it's you know, so it's, subtle. And it's, it's funny. Yeah, I'm, so I'm glad you, I'm glad you named Bacon's performance because it lets me do another on my list yeah. but that was on it. And yeah, what I, what I wrote down is he's so weighed down and, and this just kind of character study came to me. He's like, it's like, he's wanting to be alive, but fearing he's forever dead. Yeah. Mm. And there's this moment y'all there's probably multiples of this, but this one really registered for me, uh, after the Liberty mutual commercial break, uh, <laughs> when, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Liberty Mutual. That's cool. You could, you're going to need to explain that one. Yeah, yeah. We said well, that in the week, 50 Cent show. So, uh, wow. uh, yes, if if you're going to find a means to stream this, um, I should have just called up Bazart Video and rented it. I just didn't think that far ahead, but it's not available in any major outlet, and it's sort of available via Amazon Prime, except it's it's some. I guess Amazon owns IMDb. IMDb has their own TV programming, apparently. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, and the woodsman is available there, which is fine, except it is riddled with about five commercial breaks. Now the breaks five doesn't sound like many, but those breaks are like three minutes long. I mean, it's well, especially this like, film. you're like, dang, the going the, from, from oh, really yeah. heavy topic to, oh yeah, this is a sleek umbrella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had like 50 cents new yeah. show is coming back on Amazon Prime. I know that now. Yeah. So I can watch it. That's cool. Uh, but just just the tonal shift was a hard turn. Going back to nonetheless, the store, huh? Yes, nonetheless. Um, <laughs> what I'm trying to get to is there's this there's this very subtle moment when when I'm talking about how this is a man who no longer no longer knows how to live in the world, much less his own skin. And he has just confessed to Kira's character. He thinks she can't handle it and or I don't think she pokes fun. In other words, I, I don't think she makes light. But for some reason, he gets rankled by a response. She 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 laughs at it out of nervousness. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And right. he says there's nothing yes. funny or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Well, he insists she leave. And there's this moment, y'all, where she leaves and in frame the actor's hand, the character, the character's hands are in his pockets. He takes them out. He doesn't know what to do with them. He puts them back in his pockets. And that's mm -hmm. just this mm -hmm. little five second bit that it's stuff like that, that you can tell is, is about conveying character like this, this poor broken dude broken by his own actions. Let's be clear, but broken nonetheless. And, and, thematically speaking earning our empathy or deserving of our empathy cannot sit with himself yeah. and 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 it's exemplified in that moment so so thank you for highlighting his and performance it's a, blake and it's appropriate that it's his hands too i mean mm. knowing mm. The, yeah. the crime i mean he, mm. he doesn't know what to do with them 
outside of what he has done with them. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, no, that's, yeah, you're right. That's really, Reed, do you have a, that's the right you want to throw out? So I do. And I'm, I'm trying to find a way because there, there's, there's a way in which the moment that I'm going to highlight could just explode out themes. So I'm just, I'm, I'm going to try to be as concise as possible in illuminating the moment because it was the moment that I'll say it this way. There's a moment towards the end of this film that I thought was going to be the moment I was just going to need to tighten my gut and buckle up for. And watching it this time around, I actually went back and watched it a second time because of how much subtle, hard, hard work for character and theme was taking place in it. And it is the scene on the bench towards the Mm. end of the movie Mm. with him and Robin and Robin is a little girl. And that moment, I remembered the moment taking place from my previous viewing, but I didn't remember a lot of the interior specifics of it. I I, I couldn't remember specifically what they said. I did remember that like at one point he asks her to sit on his lap or if she wants to sit on his lap. Mm. And I remember being made the first time through to feel dreadfully uncomfortable by that scene. And I think when I saw it the first time, not knowing how that scene was going to play out, I I think I remember just saying like, okay, he didn't go through with it. Okay. All right, good. He 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 didn't go through with it. He he was he was clearly like tempted or clearly like on the cusp and, and and he didn't go through with anything. But watching it this time around, and actually I had the luxury of watching this through the library service canopy, so I had no commercials, but I did um back You're missing it. out. Uh, There's a lot of good yeah, stuff apparently, out there. Right? Apparently, really you is. need to know about apparently. Yes, Liberty Mutual. So but um I um when the scene concluded, I backed it up the the three minutes and watched the scene again just to say like, oh my God, like just to pay more attention to characters' faces, pay more attention to like line deliveries. We've praised Kevin Bacon's performance. Like he is doing, he's a brilliant actor. We've sung his praises on the show before, but uh, he is doing so much work inside of these moments. Like his character is going through a cataclysmic crisis mm. in that scene. And he is doing it all, barely moving his body. He's expressing it all in vocal intonation and eye movements and everything. I mean, it, it is, it, it's a masterclass in like subtle performance acting because he's just, he's doing some incredible stuff. But in that moment, at first, and something that was a through line through the rest of the film is he, ca- he says more than once, I never hurt them for what he has done, you know, and for yep. what he went to prison for. And he says more than once, I never hurt them. And what stood out to me this time watching the film was at first, I think he genuinely is just giving in to the temptations, the impulses, everything. He has kind of resigned himself now that his work knows all about it. And now that, you know, he doesn't necessarily see a path forward. So um, not in an angry way, but I think he just kind of starts off by, I'm just going to indulge. Like, I'm just going right. to indulge this impulse, not yep. like, you know, uh, nihilistically, but I'm just going to indulge this impulse, uh, impulse because what's the point and not. And so then when he asks her if she wants to sit on his lap and she says no. And at first he's like, okay, okay, okay. But then she brings up her father. And when she brings up her father, this is where I saw it on Kevin Bacon's face. And this is why I had to watch the scene twice inside what I believe it's not spelled out in the film, but what I believe is in that moment, 
he is coming to for what to him is a devastating realization of mm. oh i did hurt them yeah. like oh, i yeah. did hurt them and yeah, i totally and, agree with and, that yeah, and he's he, it's it's all crashing in on him mm-hmm. at that moment as he's seeing her react to it and when he's asked and this is why it's like it's an odd it, uh, on the surface it's an odd bit of scripting but when he asks her very specific things about what goes on with her father and it is so specific that i realized that character is having a revelatory moment in that yeah. it's like oh my god i am just like that well and, robin's robin's face mm-hmm. as he's describing like she's yeah. looking back like she's avoiding eye contact and she's looking at him but you can see the tears or like oh god her yeah. eyes are getting wet like she doesn't know what to do because she it all seems so familiar yeah um, to yeah what he's saying and and it's absolutely it's so brutal i mean yeah it's absolutely hard scene but this is this is again this is the this is the brilliance of the way this this story approaches this material is because the scene could have ended there mm-hmm. and 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 we would have been just stuck with the devastation of the character but the scene dares to go one step further he now sees the, and i'm doing a lot of interpretation work um but he now sees and realizes how much he's hurt his victims but then a turn happens for robin and suddenly again this is this is how i kind of read the scene i always found it a little odd that then she says she's willing to after saying no she says she's willing to and what connected to me this time around was i think she suddenly when he's asking her questions about her father now suddenly i think she sees her father in him and that there's some degree to where like suddenly now there's a familiarity there. And I don't know if, if the choice that she's making is because, you know, all children basically fundamentally want their parents approval. And so if there's something that now there's this, like he's become a surrogate for her. And so now he has the choice of making a different decision faced with the same crossroads that he's been faced with so many times before. And I found that so immensely powerful that then when the pivot happened for her and now she's willing to go there. And so this whole, this whole scene, it's scripting, it's performance, it's sensitivity. That's what my, that's so right moment is just all of the hard work that that scene is doing to, to layer on, um, you know, important details about this subject and about the, the empathy and the understanding that needs to take place for a scene like that to to work um mm-hmm. yeah so, yeah nathan yeah i think at risk of putting too fine a point on it and then gonna steer into my that's so right to compliment what's so magical about that scene as as insanely fraught as it is i mean it is <laughs> oh my God. funny i think i yeah. think there's a world when i originally watched this and i can i can own this where i wasn't kind of maybe it's maturity, maybe it's parenthood, maybe it's all of the above. Like, of course I'm aware of the taboo nature of the content, but it didn't rest as heavy yeah. I, yeah. as it did this time to the point that I was like, damn, this is yeah. rough. Yeah. Um, but what's really magical and beautiful about that, that, that kind of ties together a lot of thematics of the film itself is that in that moment, 
he is the woodsman, he is the wolf, and he is the child. Oh, God, yes. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He is the wolf who has eaten. He is the child who has been eaten. He is mm -hmm. the woodsman freeing himself, mm -hmm. you know, by choosing a new path. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful, and I love your take on that. I think layering in potential new thematics, too, or complementary ones, and then we can pivot into other areas if we want. Like, I for for all the 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 love of bacon both food product and performer that i have <laughs> in this film i mean most def's major monologue scene is yeah is mm. powerful and mm. and and i think what did register for me years ago when i first saw this film and that re cemented for me watching it this time is what I so love about his monologue is ostensibly he's our antagonist mm -hmm. to the degree we have empathy for Walter. And I think we're supposed to, but to the degree we have it, this is the, this is the obstacle. This is the one who can curtail his life. I don't mean in a death way, but just in a, you know, putting him back in jail, you know, metaphorically, figuratively, all, literally all these things. But what I find so powerful about most Def's monologue two thirds of the way through the film, when he's talking about his experience watching cases like this play out is what the movie does so well in that moment is it points to the air and it says, we are all perpetrators and we are all victims mm -hmm. because it makes this character who is obstacle and opposing force. He, he becomes a mouthpiece for the idea. Yeah. Now it's cynically presented there. There are no effing woodsmen, he says, but, but you understand where he's coming from and the movie, it, it just feels like there's this intersection intersecting forces that happen in that moment yeah. that not that line. I mean, but the scene itself where, he is trying to say that the movie is trying to say in its way, we are all right and wrong all at once. Yeah. yeah. And he posits, yes, cynically, there's no way out. Mm -hmm. But, but Walter's choice at the end seems to suggest there might be. And I think that's just a really beautiful, dare I and say, he, and he has so a, right thing. Yeah. And he has a hesitant recognition of that too. Uh, in yeah. the final moment where he talks to Bacon. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he remind me, what are you referring to? Well, he, he comes and he's, he's asking him about, uh, the guy who got beat up candy. outside about yeah. candy. candy. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he's saying, so was that you, you know, or were you? Mm -hmm. And he says, mm -hmm. oh no, I wasn't, no, that wasn't me. But he know like, most Def knows. He, he knows. Him. And he's not going to say anything about it because. Would you say most Def, most Def knows? Oh yeah, yeah. He most wow. <laughs> wow. Well, and, and I know, yeah. see, the, I'm, yeah, go ahead. You, you I just, just yeah, it's <laughs> nice to go to the scene. Like, I'll, I'll just touch on this real quick. I love, I love. I rewound it to make sure I wasn't a crazy person when he's beating up Candy, and there's that flash where it is. Yeah. The it's actor, him. Kevin Bacon being beaten up yep. as well. Yes. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's a masterstroke of because he editing. is. And, and yeah, what's really funny is you and I were both vying to mention that same moment because he is first. 
you said, I know you did. You said it earlier in that moment, he is the wolf, the child and the woodsman. And in that moment where he is finally like, I feel like this character has a lot of self-loathing, but he's only ever seen himself as abnormal and only defined himself in ways of helplessness when he talks to you know we haven't even mentioned the fact that michael shannon uh, an actor we all really love is is in this film forgot that yeah yeah Yeah. and so um you know when he's when he's talking with michael shannon and he's talking about the, the 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 desperate need for normalcy and everything i think he had always again i'm doing a significant amount of interpretation of this film so maybe there are other interpretations but this is just you know my view right on so far but i feel like the thank you but i feel like like when he's talking with him there's this there's this degree to which he has always detached himself from the choice he had in what he has done and that it has always been about either his impulses or something he can't control and what is really powerful about that moment is that he is the one beating candy up. But then when there's the flash and it's him being beat up, I don't, I don't see that moment as exclusively just a catharsis for the times that he feels put upon. But I think he is actively, I'll, I'll, I'll use the language of the woodsman. I think he's actively like taking the axe to who he used to be in that moment. Now, I don't know. Yeah. I would love to believe that from this moment on, he is yeah. going to, through continued therapy and through everything else, he is just going to yeah. leave that behind. But the way I read that moment is him like a woodsman, because that's what the name of the film is. And so right. you have to, you have to believe that there is something rich in that metaphor that the film is trying to illuminate for us about that. And I feel like in that moment, he is taking the axe to himself and to who he used to be. And making it, it's not just, you know, remind me uh, the sequence is the candy assault after the park bench. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Yeah. It's after the park bench. Yeah. 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 Which is why I feel that way about it. It's because yeah. 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 He's, yeah. Yeah. he's had this revelation in this conversation with Robin. Yeah. And so it's, then from there, he's now going to not be a passive, oh, this is when. Uh, 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 I'll, I'll use this example in something that's recently come up in, in my own life and, and, and conversations with, with friends and family members about understanding the difference. Like when, when something happens that feels bad and it feels awful, it can be really easy to think about it only in terms of the consequence for it or only in terms of like, oh, I just, you know, like it just sucks that this happened to me or that this is, you know, that, that, that this is something, um, a bit passive that I couldn't do anything about and pivoting that away to suddenly becoming like, Oh no, no, this is something where I have agency and I have choice and I can make a different choice. doesn't mean it's going to be an easy one. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be an automatic one, but I can make a different choice. And I want to believe that for his character. I want to believe that he is now going to, to (laughs) completely different tonal film, but I thought a lot of the line in Pulp Fiction when um, <laughs> Samuel, I know when Samuel L. Jackson says, "I'm trying to be the shepherd," I thought of that layered over his character. He's yeah. going to move forward from this, and he's he's going to try to be the woodsman from here on out. He's going to try to be the woodsman, and, so, and so, I, I find that powerful. Yeah, and I would say that that, that to go off your your talk of uh, him being detached from his actions, 
I think mm-hmm. what the movie does so well is, is not only does he have to confront the symbolic victim in Robin, mm-hmm. he has to see her, see her and he has to see his, the people he has harmed in her. Yes. He has to confront that, but he also has to confront the victimizer, which is himself. Like, and he's, yes. he confronts Candy and that's why it shifts him because he's in order to be reattached to your actions, you have to see who you've harmed and who you are. Mm. And un- up mm. until that point, I don't think he fully comprehended. He understood the harm he caused. I still don't think he understood who he was. Yeah. Like, yeah. And what he, like what the actions he chose. And so oh. when he sees candy, he, that's what he's doing. It's, I guess you could say in old, like religious terminology, mortif- mortification of the flesh. <laughs> he's uh-huh. like, beating up his son so let's do this let's do this real quick so we've each we've each named and then camped out for a moment and are that so right so we're going to go out of that that's just so right and now we're back i did want to notate for you blake real quick or for us about something you just said because what's interesting about that that kind of registered for me rather loudly is the the victim victimizer mentality or or, or however we want to phrase the that um, yeah. yes. uh, is is I think he understood thus far that and I'm gonna yes I am pivoting to language we've used a couple of times the transactional harm yeah he knew in a legalistic and a legal framework and, and I don't even mean just yeah. judicial but just in a I did a thing that was bad mm-hmm. I I I get punished for it yeah. But, you know, the three of us have been in some version of conversation via text, even just this week about capital punishment and, and the, the, the need to reckon, reckon with the transformational harm that's done. Like, I don't think it was until his confrontation with Robin, his recognition. I mean, she becomes a mirror Mm -hmm. in her story for the, the the final piece of his puzzle as far as the film is concerned of reckoning with okay i i did harm and, and reed you made such an astute kind of case there i did harm them i did harm me mm-hmm. and how transformational that necess or how necessary that is to because i don't know if you all feel this way sometimes sometimes i'm like damn what what it is just too heavy out here yeah you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. and and i don't overread that but there are just these moments where you're like god i the the and what happens to walter in that moment is is a, a very dramatic and extreme version of this but i am so complicit and wrapped up in oppressive systems in this world Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I barely notice most days, I don't comprehend the harm my complicity in them does to people, to others. I don't kind of comprehend how it dehumanizes me in the process. Um, yeah, I, I know that's a really bold statement, but I just feel that I, I thought that recently I was, I don't know. I think I was just processing just you know, at risk of an incredibly big phrase, the American political climate. I was like, this is just too much. Like this is too much. And, Mm -hmm. and, 
and it's too hard to hold it all in tension and it's too heavy and you know you get too fired up one way and then you realize you're neglecting this thing over anyway point being this notion of being that we are all uh victims and perpetrators at the same time mm. um mm-hmm. and that such a, a a beautiful sort of thematic button of the film is woodsman's woodsmen do exist woods women do exist and we can be them mm-hmm to free ourselves yeah. and others. Um, yeah. And we will need freeing again. Mm-hmm. 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 And, and that's a real powerful sort of idea. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things about, so, so what, what's fascinating to me about this film is you have surrogates. Okay. Y'all, y'all forgive me. This, this film just like ignites my imagination. You are forgiven. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, it could almost be seen as a fable the, the the film is played very realistically and naturalistically, but it could almost be seen as a fable with archetypes. And I'm going to make my case for that right now. You have uh, Kevin Bacon, the character, the, the person uh, in the on the dock, as it were, like the person standing accused. Right. But then look at the characters that surround him. They're very intentional. I'll get to Kira Sedgwick in a minute, but let's start, first of all, with Eve, Eve's character. She is clearly the accuser. Okay. Like all she sees him as is what he has done. And she feels it is her responsibility to make it known what he has done. She is the finger pointer, the accuser. She is going to be the one that's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to make sure everybody knows about you, right? Cause people have a right to know and they should know. Then you get most Def's character and most Def's character is like the, uh, the, the Avenger, the retro, the retributive hand where he's going to say like, no, I'm going to make you pay. I'm going to catch you and I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to put you, you know, away for what you've done forever. He's going to be the hand of vengeance, as it were. You have Michael Shannon, the therapist. The therapist is uh, seeking to understand, seeking to, you know, cause he, he doesn't really, he doesn't really help. No, the doesn't. character at all. He doesn't like, he does a tremendous amount of listening, but he doesn't push anything forward. He, he just listens and he's like trying to seek to understand. And I'm going to point some fingers at myself because many times in the climate, like what you described, Nathan, that's the role I sit in. Like, let me understand. I'm not, yeah. really, I'm not going to really do anything about it if I'm just going to be honest, but I do want to understand it. So let me just listen and let me just hear mm-hmm. and take it in. And that's the role that Michael Shannon kind of plays. Um, and then you have, and I'll, I'll point to this is, is, uh, is it his brother or his brother-in-law? It's his brother-in-law. brother-in-law. Yeah. His brother-in-law. So Benjamin Bratt, Benjamin Bratt is a very interesting character in this movie to me. Yeah, because on one hand, when you first see him, he seems like he's going to be like an ally advocate or whatever, but he is not that. He is mm-hmm. not at all. He is the nominal like passive just just stand alongside like the bystander i'll call it like that's all he is because the moment things get real the moment that walter starts to say like do you ever have these kind of thoughts man the the claws come out like you don't go there i'll come to your house i'll deliver your table i'll have lunch with you in the diner but don't you dare bring up any of the real stuff don't you dare bring up a bit of it i'm just a bystander here i am not involved and then you get to Kira Sedgwick's character, and she has obviously seen profound pain in her life. She's seen profound pain that she could easily surrogate Kevin Bacon's character into. And so there's all of these things that she's wrestling with, but she chooses to do the hard work of like, she's the, the, the advocate, if you will. Um, and she's going to step in, maybe not necessarily even advocate 
uh, you know, for, for his release or forgiveness for a whole bunch of people, but she's just going to be an advocate for him to himself. What I find really, really profound is that none of them, none of those characters, they all sort of fit a role that, and, and, and we've already spent a length of time talking about Robin. Robin is like, uh, the, the revelator. She's the one that presence with her illuminates what he's done. None of them really affect his situation. None of them. Like Kira Sedgwick comes the closest because she, she opens up things in his life. None of the rest of them do anything for him. And it is ultimately he who has to confront himself and be his own. Ah, I hate this term, but I can't think of it ever one in a moment. Like agent of change. Like he has to do it himself. Yeah. Everybody else. You could, you could point to all kinds of things. And when we're, when we're talking about these broad subjects, Nathan, this is what made me think of this. When you brought up like the heaviness and the thickness, and it's all so big, I think we really have to get super introspective about it. We have to start mm-hmm. with like, okay, like me, it's, mm-hmm. it's me. It's, it's me standing in the mirror. It's me looking at myself in this, like, I'm the role. I could adopt the role of the bystander. I could adopt the role of the accuser. I could adopt the role of the avenger. I could adopt the role of the understander. All that I'll get to you in just a second. Like I could adopt, <laughs> I could adopt any of those other roles, but ultimately nothing will change until I finally confront myself and my participation in it. That's something that I latched onto that I found very powerful. Well, yes, you. What there. I want to throw at you is to bolster this this sort of uh, picture you're painting because what's really funny is you know where what you've articulated is is the fruit of some of where my brain was going a few minutes ago but i didn't know how to put words to so what stuck out particularly to me and i want to take your archetypes um and and nuance a little bit uh i think benjamin bratt and michael shannon are one and the same i think they are the chorus Mm. i think they are the bruno that needs silencing to speak speaking uh, uh temptation to him because i don't know if y'all caught this this time but it really stood out to me when michael shannon prompts walter to speak candidly of his of his perpetrated crimes mm. and he's sitting behind him yes mm-hmm. how i read that scene this time is is he is is this character the therapist is tiptoeing up to his own indulgence. That's how I read it. Oh, wow. Interesting. Mm. And, and, and so you have, if, and, and for the moment, let's pretend that's, that's a, a, a credible read, uh, much like our friend here. Yeah, exactly. Credible um, read. <laughs> not the incredible read that's next, next week. Um, <laughs> but, <Okay>. um, <laughs> today, just the credible read. <laughs> what a great, <laughs> I'm just the credible read, you know, <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's <laughs> not get too full of ourselves here. Um, but, but, um, or yeah, that's the Brad Bird movie. That's just the Credibles. Um, <laughs> they, they'll pass. Um, but <laughs> so you've got the therapist occupying this this touching the flame of of Walter's transgression. I think Benjamin Bratt does likewise. I think they are the chorus who are basically casting judgment upon him for overstepping. And yet at the same time, mm. carriers of their own version of the sin. I mean, it's transgression, right? damn, when 
Benjamin Bratt starts talking about his wife being gone. I'm like, oh, wow, we have just, it is a good point. It is forgive the invocation. This it's locker room talk. It is just, Mm -hmm. it is rationalizing the indulgence. Now, Walter's error was going too far, right? Like in an extreme way, but, but the two of them are flirting with the same fire. Yeah. And so all I'm trying to do, Reed, is bolster your your metaphor here, which is to me, they are the the devil on the shoulder, you know. Yeah. Um, which is why Walter thinks he might have an ally for a moment in Benjamin Bratt. He's like, oh. Yeah, and and, and what's interesting is is I don't even read Walter as having as being locker room talk in that yeah. scene. Like yeah, it's yeah. more of I, I agree more with of him just like I feel like he's become paranoid, mm. like because he's 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 constantly constantly seeing these young children across the road from his apartment because it's the only place that will take his money. He's got this cop that's constantly barging into his apartment. He sees his own crime in everyone. Yeah, mm. yeah, like yeah. and and so well, and- like I don't even know if like. Like I think, they, I, I think, I think your reading of, of Benjamin Brad is, is is right, is right on. I, I think, and I think what Walter sees is is he sees that, but his mistake is to try to confront it when he has not a leg to stand on. Um, <laughs> well, and I and, and, like, and you make a good point, Blake. And and to be super clear, when I was yeah, saying locker room yeah. talk, I'm referring to Benjamin Brad. Yeah, I mm-hmm. actually think, and and I even misspoke my own thought there of finding an ally. I think, using it again, a credible read of what Walter does in that scene is is looking for an olive branch. He's, yeah. I think he's. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's gearing up for an indulgent conversation. Yeah, yeah. I no. think he's looking yeah. for a friend. Yeah, like you like myself and either of the two of you in in a non-recorded way might might find sort of solace in the unfortunate events of one another's life you know what i mean like mm-hmm. to me that's sort of what is happening there and you you learn brat's true colors of he's he's a bit of a jerk and he's yeah, going to shut right. down any attempt to empathize with walter anyway. and i think i think walter's also trying to normalize this and i think that's a journey that he takes through a lot of the film is trying to normalize his impulses, trying to normalize his behavior. And I think, you know, and it could be a multitude of things happening simultaneously, but I think towards Benjamin Bratt, he's trying to say like, you know what, if, if you've, I'm reading a lot into the interior mind of a fictional character, but I think in that moment, it, it wouldn't be too far of a stretch to say, okay, if he answers you know, affirmingly, or if he at least answers understandingly, then maybe this is not so weird. And maybe this is yeah. just something that you just, that, that, that maybe more people experience. And then you just, uh, you have to keep it under control or something. I think he's constantly seeking to, to normalize what he's experiencing. And I think that's, that's a thread that, that crops up more than once for him is, is just trying to feel normal trying to feel like he's not a monster and he's in this the i'm using the language of the film i don't even fully uh, i don't even fully have wrangled down what i'm about to say but i think he sees a difference between a wolf and a monster and like 
the the idea of being a monster to him like he just he he can't possibly fathom that he can't live with that he can't cope with that i am not a monster is is what he keeps you know like i'm i'm not a monster i'm i'm not evil i'm not wicked i never hurt them i never you know all those other things and i think something comes to fruition maybe the combination of most deaf's um you know metaphor to him about little red riding hood and using the language of a wolf now is that when suddenly i think he begins to finally come into clarity of like oh no uh, there was something predatory there was something harmful there was something um you know that that was devastating about the choices that i made i think that's a real sea change and that now he can suddenly get to a place to where he's willing to and able to confront and 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 maybe maybe now it's not a detachment from what happened before maybe instead it is actually an ability to confront it in such a way that he can uh, uh I keep I keep resisting fighting and self battle language, yeah. but that's basically what I keep brushing up against. Is that basically like okay, now I'm going to stop pretending that this is something that happened to me and start recognizing that this is something I did. And I think that's what finally positions him at the end to be okay with the fact that his sister didn't forgive him, because I think the through line of needing his sister to forgive him all this time is that maybe if he had that, then you know it, it was okay. He could be let off the hook. Like that's fine, but he feels okay with the fact that it's going to take time because he now sees that these are related to choices he's done and not just something that has happened to him. I know I'm just so word vomit at this. So point. it's it's interesting you brought up the sister because this time around watching it, I don't think I've ever had this. There was two things I reacted to significantly differently than I had on previous viewings. First off. Um, whenever he tells Robin to go home in that moment, my heart sinks because yes, like there's a catharsis and yes, he has chosen to not harm her, but he's sending her back into the lion's den. Mm -hmm. Um, That, that was really hard for me to take. And I don't know why (laughs) it kind of took me out for a little bit um, because I'm not sure what to do with that. Um, Yeah. I think that's a very reasonable critique. Yeah. I'm sorry to cut off your train of thought, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I think that's very fair. But also, this doesn't this doesn't absolve it. But I also think it props up a defense of of Reed painting this this metaphor picture, which yeah. if her intention as a character is this totemic reflector yeah. back to him. Now that I still don't think it lets the movie off the hook exactly for. Yeah. <laughs> And we don't get any any recognition of does does anyone go to, to this child's help you know yes but and and, and part critique. of it i think there's a fair i think there's a fair response in that maybe he's not the one who can help sure like he yeah. can't he can't right. no one is gonna <laughs> no he's one's gonna credible. listen to him right. yeah he's not credible so um but the other thing i noticed and the other thing that just really and, and I'm curious because I'm not even sure if I completely agree with me on this. Uh, so I want to hear y'all's thoughts. So These are here to, to disagree yes. with you. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I find it interesting that the two women that were harmed in the same way that he harmed all those girls in his past somehow found it in them to, to forgive him, to offer him solace. And I mean, Robin hugs him. Yeah. That's the final thing she does is, is she hugs him and then she runs away. Mm. 
mm-hmm. Kara Sedgwick invites him into her life. Yeah. Even yeah. though her brothers all lusted her. Mm-hmm. All right. I was really angered by the sister mm. that she was not, not, not to minimize any pain she had about her brother and whatever heartbreak it caused her, but she has no right to forgiving for the, what he has done. Mm. She was not harmed in the same way as Robin or uh, Kara Sedgwick or any of his victims. And I, I, I get the read that that is what she's, that's what her fear and her anger is bound up in. It's, mm. it's some, some like moral judgment, you know, this, this horrible thing that my brother has done and I'm never going to forgive him for doing that to those people. I'm like, like, mm. is, it, I... is it your job to forgive him? Like, mm. is it like, can you forgive him for that? Like, and, and, and so I, I struggled with that. I str- sure. Sure. Especially with all these powerful examples of <laughs> forgiveness mm. shown in this movie. And I don't know why I was so like thrown off by that. that yeah. Like I, I like how it ends. I like the fact that mm. he, he finds solace and he finds peace and that it's going to take time. But yeah, I, I, I struggle with that. So, so can, I yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to offer a, 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 a uh, you know, you've known me a long time now, yeah. Blake. I'm going to yeah. offer a, a read version of pushback to to what, <laughs> yeah. you're, to, to what you're saying. But then I'm also it might bleed into a question that I that that I had mm-hmm. written down to ponder um, because it directly relates to what you're talking about. Now, yeah. I I took it this time around that she is one of his victims, though okay. not not one of the ones maybe necessarily gotcha. that That's fair. like one one of the others is yeah. because that moment when the the therapist is talking about when he used to take naps with her and and so i got the impression from that scene and from a film as intentional and deliberate as this film is the fact that you would give us time around that scene that's fair i don't and and i don't know because the film doesn't unpack it and Mm -hmm. we're i think it's intentional that we're not privy to their conversation that they're off in the distance and Mm -hmm. and i feel like him finally seeing her and the fact that she's so unwilling to see him for so long, it just felt very deliberate. Like, no, no, no. She's, she's one of his victims. Like maybe not in the same way the rest are, but, but somewhere along this line, she is one of his victims, not just uh, as simple as I can't believe what my brother did. I think, I think there's a, there's a little bit more over that. I think that's, I think that I forgot about the the hair. Yeah. Cause like he smelled her hair and and, and everything like that. Um, but the other thing that the question that it bleeds into that you are asking is, is actually something this film forces me to wrestle with is, is, and I'll, I'll ask it the same exact way that I wrote it down. Um, what is our responsibility when we encounter another person's shame? And it's something I'm wrestling with right now because unfortunately, and I'm not, I actively do not want to explode this out to a whole bunch of societal overlaps, but it's something that, I mean, you turn around twice and you're going to run into something. Yeah. So what is our responsibility when we encounter someone else's shame? And I had unpacked it earlier. I'll, I'll, I'll just reference it right now for ease of, of context is, you know, 
is my responsibility to 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 be Eve, the accuser in this movie? Like people have a right to know. Is my responsibility exposure? Is my expo- is my responsibility understanding? Is my responsibility avenger? You know, like like uh, uh you know transacting something that's going to actually try to right the ship is my responsibility forgiveness is my responsibility revelation you know and so like so that's something that you know with this film um you know i've i've shared before because the closest surrogate to this subject matter that we've had on the show recently was not that long ago earlier this year we talked about the film trust and listeners can go back and l- listen to that episode we won't rehash the whole conversation right now but that was kind of approaching this subject from the other side, yeah. like looking exclusively at like, how do we reconcile the trauma and, the, mm-hmm. and, and, and the pain that we've endured because of things that have happened to us. And so now this film forces me as an individual to think about like, well, what's my responsibility when I see mm-hmm. what's my human responsibility? What's my societal responsibility? What's my spiritual responsibility in, in the discussion around what would Christ have me do? And like, what is, my responsibility when i encounter someone else's shame um and i think it is fascinating you articulated it blake and then i'll i'll leave you both with the question and with the response is that robin shows him affection and leaves him Uh, his sister wants minimal to do with him at least by the end of the film wants minimal to do with him so she's kind of written him off and written him out um and then kira sedgwick has actively invited him into her life so we have three different responses of just forgive and move on do not forgive and we are now re-engaged and reconciled in life together from this other thing and 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 so yeah the film has me wrestling with what my responsibility is if i see uh someone else's shame what what is asked of me in these moments so um can i jump in there yeah please Um, go for it you know I have a pithy answer, but the pithy answer might become more solid by, you know, not leading with it. But it's really fascinating. Just today, uh, I referenced on the show before the podcast Sway featuring journalist Kara Swisher, and she had Mm -hmm. Ashton Kutcher and a business partner of his on. I, I did not know this was a thing, but Ashton Kutcher, 10 years ago, uh got heavily inspired by challenged by motivated to uh work in the technology space at boldly uh, rather ambitiously so attempting to eradicate it's called csam child sexual abuse material from the internet mm-hmm. and so literally i listened today to a conversation because it's the newest episode of kara sway inter- uh, i'm sorry kara swisher interviewing him and I'm, I'm not looking at it so i don't remember the the business partner's name when when we moved into the house we're in right now i had never done this i had had kids up until this point like i my children were alive i looked at the the sexual offender database mm-hmm. and and that was that was as anxiety inducing and mm-hmm informational and shameful an act as i can think of like to to go do that to 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 your phrasing read to partake of someone else's shame right like Mm -hmm. to learn oh this person did x y or z um and i think there's an extreme tension as attempting to be men of integrity as 
attempting to be parents, good parents, to to not too quickly go the pithy route. You know, you have to have some sensitivity and knowledge. You also have to have empathy and mercy. And I think, uh, Blake, this is new info to you. Read, I texted you probably three weeks ago. My family was at the beach. I was driving around, going to the grocery store. I was behind a car that had a bumper sticker <laughs> that said, dead pedophiles don't reoffend. Mm-hmm. Hashtag mm-hmm. save our children. And I, I feel like I've, I've, I, you know, you start to lose your, your, your sense of being able to be awestruck by the depths we're able to descend to, to abandon empathy. And I, we can, I only minimally, I point to that simply to say, this is a fraught conversation. This is a fraught topic. This is, there are zero easy answers, but I think in the largest view that we may be able to tap into is to finally get back to this sort of pithy thing that has become at least peripherally part of the DNA of our show read is somehow you include it and you forgive it. That will be, that will be the most challenging task, you know, because, because I do believe in empathy for all. I also believe in protecting my kids. (laughs) You know, it it is, Mm -hmm. it, it is not either or, um, I do think the the beautiful aspect of this film and anyone who would unfairly critique it, I would sort of dismiss outright. I think the beautiful nature of this film is it's a person seeking personal restitution. Mm-hmm. It's a person mm-hmm. trying to live in the face of their devastating transgression. Yeah. Anyway. So... um I already got personal on the trust episode. I'm going to get slightly more personal uh, on, on this one for three minutes. (laughs) So I referenced in, I referenced in very vague terms, um, some instances that it, that are from my life. Um, I'm going to reference with a bit more specificity. One of them right now, because it's relevant to this conversation. Um, If listeners heard the trust conversation, then you'll know I referenced some, you know, uh, a sequence of distinct instances over the course of a few years while I was at this church, while I was a teenager. One of those instances I'm going to mention, and I won't, I won't give sorted details about my particular intersection in it, but there was a gentleman, uh, to call gentleman is, is, is generous, but in the spirit of this film and in the spirit of the conversation, there was, uh, someone at, uh, my father's former church. And there was a lot of weird goings on surrounding his presence in, uh, and, and, and he attended, he was just a couple of years ahead of me in high school. Um, but he, um, you know, his, his presence around the church, um, things just got very strange. There were some red flags here, some red flags there, some red flags specifically. The intersection with me, uh, involved, uh, conversations, conversations and exposure is what I'll call it. But what happened is that then he uh, left the church where my father was pastoring, and my father eventually, you know, retired from that church as uh, well, left that church as well, and went on to pastor a different church. 
I moved on and I was living life somewhere else. Well, it was not like three or four years, maybe even less than that, after our uh, living life together had parted ways that this person I'm referring to was brought up on charges at another church he had gone to for inappropriate conduct with a minor. And so he was brought up on charges for which he was convicted. And he was convicted of that. If I were to, I'm not going to, but if I were to name him, you could look him up and you would find all of this information about it. Um, and so he was convicted. He spent time in prison. He is on the sex offender registry, what we're discussing right now. And um, he later uh, came out uh, as an LGBTQ advocate and was doing a lot of work in the city where he lived specifically to promote LGBTQ rights. Now, I'm not in articulating this story, making any judgment or any profound statement one way or another. I'm just, I'm just telling what happened that, um, there were people who suddenly, like, when they realized the intersection of this very vocal, very active, uh, person in that arena, and they suddenly realized this person is on the, the sex offender registry and spent time in prison. And here's his mugshot and here's all the details. Mm -hmm. When they realized that, they began to immediately conflate certain things and they began to immediately combine certain things and suddenly and and when I get back to and I'm I'm actively sort of stepping upon and, and trying to launch to a to a forward place in your include and forgive conversation, Nathan, because my feelings about that whole situation are very complicated. Trusting sure. both of you, my friends, mm -hmm. and trusting uh, maybe a little bit more foolishly, trusting the the uh, sensitivity of the listener, I will say, you know, when I saw that, there was not a tremendous amount of include and forgive in my heart towards sure. him because yeah. of because of the specific intersection and how certain things I've not been able to uncouple from his direct time in my life. And mm -hmm. so there is the 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 all of these swell of different impulses. I feel very much to go right back to it. Uh, I feel very much like the sister to that guy. Like if yeah. that guy tried to reach out and have a conversation, mm -hmm. I, you know, F off, yeah. like I'm, I'm not interested in a conversation with you. And, um, and so it does get very complicated. And I feel like where the reason I bring that story up and the reason is, is to hopefully at least support some of, of what I'm trying to reach for in what you're saying Nathan, about learning mm -hmm. to include and forgive is to find a place where we detach ourselves as much as we psychologically in a healthy way and emotionally in a healthy way and spiritually in a healthy way can detach ourselves from what has happened to us and zone in on our own choices and zone in on, okay, these are the, these are the choices that we can make in this moment. And how do I confront, uh, you know, myself and how I process things. And, and that feels like it is the, the, the utmost responsibility, you know, because where I'm going with that is, um, not everybody is in a position to be, not everybody is in Kira Sedgwick's position. Kira Sedgwick is in a unique position at her station in life, at her agency for herself. She's in a unique position to show Walter a unique grace. And Robin, certainly is not in that same position. She's not in that, you know, like I, I hear what we, what we've said about like, she gets sent back into the lion's den. I get it. Like, you know, Walter can't, I'll say this, Walter can't really be her woodsman yeah, and sure. she can't, yeah, and yeah, she yeah. can't be Walter's, you know, forgiveness. Like yeah. their paths cross for a moment 
and they're able to learn him more from from her than her from yeah. him, but they're able to learn something and glean something from that, but they can't fit that role. And I think yeah. maybe that's important to recognize in this conversation. I was just having a, a, a talk, another completely other subject. I was just having an in-depth conversation with my, with, uh, my mother about another situation that I'm not even going to start going into details about, but there was a situation where something happened at a church and the pastor made a decision in that moment to basically say like, well, we need to, we need to save everybody. Like we need to reconcile everybody. And, and, and it unfortunately just all went to hell because he was trying to show a bunch of grace and he was grace forward towards the, the victim and the victimizer. But unfortunately, perhaps a little bit more towards the, the, the victimizer than the victim. And so it all gets muddled. It doesn't, it doesn't get handled in a mature and healthy way and it all gets bungled. And I think one thing that is important to realize in these moments is I don't have to be every role. Like I don't have to fit every role. And maybe in my life, the person that I mentioned from my past, maybe my role in that is more the sister and where I need to dig into that is actively seeking the Lord and actively seeking counsel from my friends and actively seeking counsel from people who, who know me and say, like, how do I move to a healthy place about this? But as far as that other guy goes, we have no more intersection. I can't fit that role in his life. And I'm not really gonna, I, I don't really want him to have a role in mine. And I think that's okay not to it, be too it, glib it, about it, the word. You know, go, yeah, not, go ahead. Uh, uh, being friend to you friend to me friend to blake here and by friend to blake i mean not letting him talk is <laughs> you know <laughs> i mean read like the story you just told you know well and blake knows fairly i have my own i'm sure right, to a certain right. degree blake has his <laughs> what is to be frank pretty shitty, is there's a chance we've been that people to others Right. Hopefully not as severely as we feel it right. for ourselves, but even incrementally. Mm. And I mm. think, I think you are, you are absolutely right. And this is why I was so hesitant and, and attempted to build a case for include and forgive as not a pithy, uh, uh rush to rushed to thing right. because, you know, your anger, your mm. heartbreak, your disappointment, your cynicism mm. rooted in this source point, my heartbreak and disappointment and cynicism and heartbreak rooted in this thing. Yeah. It gets included. Mm -hmm. It gets included. Yeah. It is a thing yeah. that is real and, mm -hmm. and, and we don't nurture it. Sure. It gets right. included at mm -hmm. some point in our lives. We will forgive it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's gonna take time reed it's gonna yeah. take time blake that's true mm -hmm. it's gonna take time nathan how do we yeah. feel about that maybe we're okay but i don't know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because yeah. i think i think at risk of leaning heavy on the pithy i think at the bottom of this movie it's about forgiveness it's yeah. about yeah. yeah societal mm -hmm. forgiveness of of its individuals it's about self-forgiveness it's about individuals forgiving each other. And that is not, it should never be an easy path, yeah. a direct line. Yeah. It's going to mm -hmm. be ugly. Yeah. Yeah. And complicated. Yeah. There's, uh, 
Yeah, go ahead, Blake. Yeah, while while the sensibility of restoration is is generally speaking always good, um, the thing that especially if it feels like these days Christians don't get about restoration is restoration does not preclude consequences. Mm-hmm. Restoration it happens in the process of consequences. Um, so like the pastor that was trying to do it in house and, and mm-hmm. try to restore mm-hmm. these people and, and reconcile them, <clears throat> he was trying to do it without the consequences mm-hmm. of, of the act that was done. Um, and that's the hard part. Like for me, like this film is definitely about forgiveness at its very core. But the question I still to this day don't always have an answer for is in specific cases, who actually can forgive? Mm. Like who is the forgiver? And then I think that was my, my, my issue. If we were going off the basis that, his sister was not one of his victims. Right. Um, right. That was my question is, can I see a victimizer and forgive them for something that was not done to me? Mm-hmm. Like what, 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 the, what is that? Is yeah. that even a thing? Um, mm-hmm. Do I even have the right? Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and I think there is like, I think we use the terminology of, of like, like you were saying, Nathan, that, society has to forgive its people. Um, mm. but I feel like that's, that's terminology. I'm not sure that a society can actually forgive in mm. the truest sense of that word. I think it can restore, it can give consequences, but then restore the person, but I'm not sure. I, I have a hard time this idea of if forgiveness is costly, and the only person who can forgive is the one that was harmed. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And and I, I don't know what to do with that. Like like what? It, <laughs> yeah. Like, does that mean that when I see someone who is to 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 take your terminology uh, to in, I can include them? Mm-hmm. Is it my right to forgive them? I I, yeah. I don't know. Like, and do you have the authority yeah. to? Yeah. Have you been have you been given the 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 seat where yeah. well and one other thing that I would add to I that, don't know. I can't I can't leave the conversation without adding the 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 metaphor that I gleam from all of the bird imagery and the bird language yeah. in this in this film. Um I think it's also in addition to forgiveness about freedom. And the reason I'm saying freedom is because we typically think of birds as either in cages or among the trees. And and the final image that we have, the final word we have on this is I feel okay. And the final image we have is of birds flying free through the sky yeah. and the, the, the bird watching that he and Robin connect on. Robin is a bird's name. Like it's, it's very in the film. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm using that text. Um, and, and I think too, sometimes it may not even be about forgiveness and maybe it's about freedom and maybe, mm-hmm. and I know this might be a little bit of an anathema to, to say, uh, that like maybe forgiveness is not the end of the conversation. I think we always look at forgiveness as like, well, when forgiveness gets yeah. there, then then forgiveness uh, is the conclusion. Yeah. That's the verdict. The verdict is forgiveness. It's but process. maybe it's not. Right. Forgiveness mm-hmm. is uh, agreed. Forgiveness is a process. Mm-hmm. And maybe in some cases, it's merely about m- inching towards freedom. 
mm-hmm. and inching okay. towards mm-hmm. inching towards freedom for yourself, inching towards freedom for other people, inching towards the version of freedom where you are not caged, mm-hmm. shackled, whatever. And maybe in that sense, we are are spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to forgive when really maybe that is simply something that as Nathan, as you articulated, as we've all expressed at one point, that is simply going to take time. Because we are not going to be every role at simultaneously, and we are not going to have it all in a fast food microwave fashion. It is simply going to be the, you know, erosion takes time. And there are certain things that you simply cannot have at the snap of your fingers. And there are certain things that, to your point, Blake, that you will never be. Like, you can use the words, I forgive you all you want to, but if you were never in a position to do that to begin with, if you were never mm-hmm. given the judicious authority or if you were never in the position of direct harm, then your forgiveness may be nothing more than simply saying, I am here with you and I am here mm-hmm. for you, whatever that looks like. Um, but I think maybe it is about, again, I'll just, I'll just go back to those words as my final, like inching towards freedom, whatever that looks like for you and for them. Yeah. And, and, and I think, and I think to go off that, um, that's not to say that there's nothing I can't, I can do mm. in those spaces. It's instead of saying some, instead of, you know, a pithy, I, I forgive you when you don't have the authority, instead act to mm-hmm. include, to, to stand beside them in, in, in whatever way you can. Um, yeah. be their yeah. advocate when they need an advocate, be their, conscience, I guess, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. they need a conscience, um, whatever yeah. it may be, like you act, you don't forgive unless you're the one harmed or right. the one ha- who has authority to do that. Um, like I said, all of this is still working in my head. So yeah, sure, sure. Here, well, here in about 10 minutes, I'll be like, what the hell was I talking about? No, no. But curious, <laughs> curious We're thinking of now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Kira Sedgwick, I know this episode has gone long and we, and we should wind down, but, but, but Kira Sedgwick's character, look at what she does for him. Like Kira Sedgwick's yeah. character finds out what happens and then, and we haven't even really, you know, specifically detailed what she does for him, but what does she do when she shows back up at his door? She gives him something else to take care of mm-hmm. because the mm-hmm. things that he should have taken care of, he didn't. Yeah. And so she gives him, she gives him a plant, a living thing that he can take care of. She entrusts him with a fragile thing that he can take care of. Like that action speaks so much more volumes Mm -hmm. than any unpacking of psychological, whatever that she could have done for him. And she's also not, I mean, let's be honest. It's a low stakes thing to do, but it's a very significant thing for their interaction. I am going to, it's an olive branch. Uh, yes, literally, almost literally, it well, is. I, I am. I am going to give you this thing and put this in your charge. And again, it speaks to you know finding finding the path to wholeness, freedom, health, um, all, flight, all of that. Flight. Yes. Yes. Um, man. Hi, everybody. Everybody, okay? Everybody, we we feel okay. Meh. I'll get there. It'll take time, though. <laughs> It'll take I'm time. Just, I'm just gonna cry myself to sleep tonight. So oh my gosh! Yeah. Um, just, but that's because of how late it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm probably gonna have to get up at 3 a.m. for my baby. Lord have <laughs> mercy. 
I will say as we as we make our way to the fog meter, which we will in literally less than a minute, I like I'm grateful for this conversation. It's heavy, yeah, it's amen. hard. I am grateful for the conversation. And Nathan, you said something off pod that I actually don't think made it into the recording, but I will quote you in saying, like, like we said for contact, I just admire this film's willingness to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. I admire yeah. the film's willingness to enter into this subject sensitively, bravely. And, and to say something that I think has a lot of substance out of it. So Blake, I, I am grateful to have seen this movie again. I'm grateful to have, to have had this conversation with you. Do you, Even uh, that's a Debbie Downer moment. Wah, wah. Well, melancholy <laughs> is your happy place. You know, we have, we have learned. Um, so do you gentlemen want to go to the, the, the fog meter as it were? Um, so, uh, fun, so fun. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. What we have been doing, the fog meter is typically fear and God are patent pending metric about, uh, you know, it scares and it's substance in the, what saves us conversation. We have actually been, uh, pivoting that over to, uh, fun meter and God meter. I'm actually going to include and forgive both of those to this film. So I'm going to say for the first measurement, take it however you want. The fear, the fun, the whatever. You can talk about the interior mechanics of it or whatever you, you want to do. Well, but I'm, I'm, you, you got to pick one. Fun. Yeah, you got to pick one because <laughs> then the metric's totally screwed. Yeah. D- yeah no, you one. do. Just, just uh, yeah. Well, then you pick one. Pick fun because that's what we're doing. Yeah, fun. Okay, okay yeah. so we're doing yeah. fun. So What's fun so funny that. about this? Is my wife the other night because she watched the woodsman with me back in the day and she was like oh the woodsman and i was like yeah it's for what saves us and it was like the rest of development is like her <laughs> I <was> like this <laughs> Who, who's i mean Whoa. when i when i submitted it i was like her <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah. So but you went ahead do I, do I really so no, do that? we're sticking with what saves us which is the all fun right. and the god all right all right yeah. all right so all right lake this is your submission you go first Fun. <laughs> I'm about to. I'm gonna have to go with a low one on this. Uh, with a, yeah, with a two. Okay. I'm not gonna go one because the acting was really good, and mm-hmm. it was a joy to watch. Great actors act well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, two. Two registered. <laughs> registered. Nathan Hook. What, what say you, you know, about the, the fun I was, of the woodsman? I was gonna, I was gonna go low here, um, but Kira and Kevin have some fun in this movie, yeah, so let's. Uh, let, I'm gonna go with a four uh, uh, because they have fun and Lord make up sexy times. Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy. <laughs> okay, okay. So, all right, I will say, <laughs> I will say for universally for the performances alone the performances are uh, incredible in this in this film and so uh blake you said it but like for the privilege of watching a master class in acting i will give this film a five because wow despite the despite the heaviness of its material it, it like most Def's performance is going to stay with you. Kevin Bacon's performance and is most definitely will. It most definitely will. Um, so yeah, so I'm going to give it a five for the acting performances alone. That's that's what I'm going to give it. And for the substance meter, I am going to give it an, a, a, an unqualified ten. I feel like the things that this has on its mind are just incredible, and the the maturity and sensitivity and the way it it goes about it. So um, so yeah, unqualified ten for me on the God meter, despite it not being a very fun movie to watch. What, what say you, Nathan? Yeah. I mean, I think you don't just 
you don't just choose to make a movie about this mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. if if you aren't after something really rich yeah. um and i do think in most ways that it attempts it achieves that and so i i don't think it would be overstating it to to award it the 10 for the god meter yeah all right let's say you blake um well it's at its very core it, what it's going after is at the crux of the faith that we all affirm mm-hmm. um i think by that metric it has to be a 10 so note that that it is three tens across the board and that means that we give it fittingly enough a seven <laughs> even um, when we try we fail. We still, still land on a seven so we gave old rocky a nine last last week so that's that was nice that's fun though that's fun that, that's a fun movie though um a fun movie. and and the more complicated question is is would we recommend oh. the woodsman so um i'll go i'll go first i i would say that unless the film directly overlays with personal experience god forbid but it's too rampant to say otherwise unless the film overlays with personal experience um i think it it is about as sensitive and mature as as this subject matter can be so if you unless it's just a non-starter in the subject matter I do recommend this film. I don't recommend it if the subject matter alone just automatically cancels you out. But otherwise, I do. Like, I'll, it's your movie. I'll let you go last. Um, yeah. I, I don't recommend it. I hmm. think it is extremely worthwhile to view. I don't. It is not. I mean, even this time, I was like, damn, this is so tough. And yeah. it does not. Yeah relent i mean the 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 park bench scene is is it is tough it's difficult even even knowing what's going to happen it's still Mm -hmm. well admittedly i had been so long i I didn't remember all the beats there and Mm -hmm. and it it gets um this is why the recommend is possibly a no or or at least i'm stating it as such like the the language isn't explicit like it is not graphic Mm -hmm. language but it is direct yeah. to the subject matter and and it is very challenging from that standpoint yeah understood how about you blake i mean just on a technical level if you can stomach the subject matter the technical aspects of film are are worth seeing mm-hmm. this is love we're just so like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would, I, I, I lean, I lean towards a, a heavy not recommend mm. simply because I think it's, I get why this movie didn't make much money. Um, yeah, of course. Of course. It, it's a, you have to be a certain type of person mm-hmm. to go to it first yeah. and then to appreciate what it's trying to do. Would no, I recommend just, it to just anybody? No, I don't. I don't think I would. You want to pitch it to Grandma as like a modern retelling of the Little Red Riding no. Hood? No, no, don't, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. No. Don't do that. I don't. I didn't say watch it. I mean, <laughs> just. I mean, I would. I mean, if I didn't like her, then maybe. Sure. But <laughs> wow, we just we just deviated from the conversation from the question rather heavily. Oh my gosh. 
Um, so, <laughs> a yes, a not really, and a maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Hey, I was only a yes unless the subject matter oh, is a that, non-starter. I wasn't uh, criticizing but, you for the yes. But, I kind of want to join your yes. And yeah, I, I think yeah, I think Blake phrased it well, like a very you you um you have to come find this film. Yeah. Like, you, yeah. No, I, I yeah. agreed. Agreed. Um and so Blake, I do sincerely want to thank you. This yeah. was uh th- th- I think this was um therapy for me to re-engage this film and the way it approaches the subject for the ways that those tendrils can apply to other places. And I really, really appreciate you, you bringing that up. Like you, you you're not afraid of the dark either. Uh, we've mm, seen that on, the, we've seen that on the show. So, just um, open spaces, just open spaces. <laughs> just open spaces. Um, so that, uh, that concludes this, this chapter of what saves us. Uh, next week, we're going to go to a very, very different kind of film. Um, and uh, we're, it, it is a film that you do not need to, you know, have any sort of like qualifiers for. Um, it's not, you know, an abundance of joy kind of film, but it is a film that, that you can enter with a bit less hesitancy. It is an animated film from about five years ago. And, uh, I don't think it's very hard to find, but yours, it's got a weird title. The name of it is My Life as a Zucchini. I know that sounds like a very silly title. It is actually a really, uh, sensitive. I, again, I always lead with these when I tell them, but I, I love this film and I'm very excited to talk about it. But the film is called My Life as a Zucchini. It's an animated film uh, from about five years ago. So seek that out. That is where we are going next week. That is part um, of the VeggieTales universe, right? <laughs> it is not. It is not part okay. of the VeggieTales okay. shared universe. Although, oh man, Larry boy. Um <laughs> So, but, uh, oh. but so ch- check that out for next week. Um, Blake, I want to thank you again. Nathan, yeah, thank you thanks. as always for the, the just wonderful conversations uh, and listeners. Thank you as well. If you stuck with this, uh, lengthy conversation about this subject for this long, thank you for your participation in it. Um, and as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. See ya. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork. To Lee Wright, who helped me read Lackey write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.